All right. This morning we are going to be in Exodus chapter 20, um, which some of you may be familiar with because it is uh, the Ten Commandments. These are always um, kind of difficult passages to, to preach on, frankly, because <coughs> people are pretty familiar with them. <laughs> I think almost everybody's familiar with the Ten Commandments, has some idea what it is. Um, although not, not everyone, certainly a lot of people just kind of hold the Ten Commandments up as this big kind of scary thing that, that, um, that's out there or that it has some weird commands in it. But they're all pretty logical, pretty um, understandable, pretty simple ideas. And so uh, we're going to look at that today. We're going to break it down. I'm going to try to shed some new light on some of these things for you, hopefully. Um, but it's always a good reminder to, to go to God's Word, even if it's something that we think we know really well. Um, it can be uh, powerful for us to read it again, kind of with fresh eyes, with an open heart, to say, God, what do you have to teach me about this today? Before we get into the Ten Commandments, though, I want to briefly talk about your Ten Commandments. And what I mean by that is we all have rules that we live by. We all have an idea of what it means to be a good person. Um, even people that aren't religious have some idea of standards of living, of what it means to be a good person. It's actually a great um, thing to, to kind of bring out when you are discussing religion with somebody who doesn't believe um, or isn't a believer that that everyone has some kind of standard that they hold themselves to and hold other people to that they would kind of say this is what it means to be a good person if you kind of live by these rules and and they may be different than the ten commandments necessarily but they have some idea some standard by which they hold people to we see this all the time um, on social media and on social media we see people holding each other to a, a high standard uh, regularly that there are um, that that they want to call people out want to complain about people um, want to to hold people to some kind of standard this is something that happens all the time and I actually have a, a specific example that I saw a couple weeks ago on uh, on a site called Nextdoor uh, some of you are familiar with this is a social media site that's based on your neighborhood and so uh, in my neighborhood some someone put a, a post up that that talked about this incident that he said a, a, a man was walking walking their dog and uh, the dog stopped and did its business and the man uh, took a, a bag and, and picked it up and bagged it and then it was trash day so that man's trash can was was sitting in the corner and he he deposited it in the trash can and and this man was outraged at the the indignity and the the insult that was done to them as a result of this now when i read it i thought that's crazy i would never think twice i would do exactly what that man did i don't think there's anything wrong with what he did that's crazy to me and I was talked to, I've talked about with a couple people since then uh, one of whom was my wife and and she she said that she she sympathized with the complaint to some extent like I, she could see where he was coming from that he might not want that to happen that he might be upset about why why the why uh, that that happened why he did that um, she wouldn't have certainly made a post about it but she would have kind of been like ah that's not very nice I, I can understand why he wouldn't want that to happen 
And then there were clearly, there's lots of comments on this post. So clearly there were a lot of people that were, were also outraged. And I can't believe that they would do that. And how dare they? Um, and so there was just all these different, different interpretations of the same incident. It was basically a question of, if we break it down, uh, it's, it's basically a question of what does it mean to love your neighbor? Right. Is that a loving thing to do or not? Is that something that would be harmful to to one's neighbor? And so it's interesting um, that we, we have these standards that we hold each other to. And that may be one where there's like a, a, a it's a gray area, you might say, or like maybe a, a questionable area. That's not what we're going to be talking about today. But we see this this question that that we um, that we have these standards. But the important thing, of course, is what is God's standard? And, and so, um, so we're going to look at these things. It's clear that people understood these things before God laid them out, which is something that we talked about as well. Um, and as we, as we look at these, we're going to look at into two sections. The first four commands are about how we love God. We might also call that righteousness. Um, and the second six are about how we love one another. We might also call that justice. And so we're going to look at this today. First, righteousness, verses 1 through 11. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am Yahweh your God. I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the seventh, the Sabbath and made it holy. Okay, let's take these one at a time. Uh, first, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, it is important that we, that we recognize that he, when he's saying you should not have any gods before me, he's not saying that you can have other gods just as long as I'm number one. Uh, he's saying you should not have any other gods in my presence, right? He's saying bef before me. Everything is before him. If you think of God being on the throne, before him there shall be no other gods in your midst. Um, another question we might ask about this is, do other gods even exist? What does he mean by that? And we might say yes and no to that in, in terms of do other gods even exist. Yes, in that there are other gods that people worship. We know this to be true. There are explicit gods like uh, like in, well, in Scripture, Baal and Molech. Um, in, in our world today, we have gods like Allah and, and all the, the pantheon of the Hindu gods. There are certainly explicit things that people call God. Uh, but there are also things that we worship that are, that are as though they are gods, like money, power, fame. Those can also be gods, so to speak, 
um, for us, that, that there are things that we worship. And other gods have real uh, spiritual power. It just happens to be demonic power, that the, there are these spiritual entities that exist that have demonic power, demons behind them. Um, I, I, I had a professor in seminary who, who really argued that all of these other false gods do exist, and they actually have real specific uh, demon, demons behind them, that they're, they're specifically demons that people are worshiping just with other names. And they're certainly not calling it demon worship, although there are are those that do specifically worship demons. Um, but they're they're worshiping demons unaware. There aren't other gods in the sense that there are no other gods that match Yahweh in terms of power and 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 his divine abilities and his divine power. No, no one matches him, and so there's no other gods in the sense of uh, equal rival. So that's an important thing for us to keep in mind as well. The second, you shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. Um, he, he talks about not making a carved image either of of, God, of Yahweh or of anything else to worship in order to worship it. And this is obviously very specifically for the time. People did this. People worshiped um, actual physical things. That's not super common in our world today, although it is not unknown. It's not as popular in American culture, but it certainly is in, in other parts of the world. Um, and even in American culture, we do have the people who, who kind of worship crystals and, and things like that, where there is a specific image, a specific item that they're worshiping. Uh, but it's important that, that we do note that he's, he's talking about that we don't bow down to them or serve them. The purpose of the carved image um, is important. That God does not want to t- them to take an object to worship, even if they're trying to worship him. That they should not be worshiping an object. So that is important for us to keep to, to clarify because there are people who say, well, then you should never have like even a an illustrated Bible or like a children's book that has depictions of Jesus in it. Um, that's not really what they're talking about here. Now, if you started to worship that image... That is a problem, right? If you start to actually worship that picture of Jesus, set up a little altar and like make it as though that is the thing to worship, um, then that is problematic. But in general, that's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about worshiping specific carved images um, and, and worshiping that object, not using it to tell a story or using it to some have some kind of illustration there. He also gives a... An, a uh, a reason for this, for this one, where he says, uh, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God. He talks about being jealous. And we typically think of jealousy as a negative thing, right? That jealousy is something we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be jealous, we shouldn't have jealousy in our hearts, um, that that we should, we should, uh, <laughs> did we get that? Okay, cool, thanks. Sorry, there's something else going on in my house over here. It was a little distracting. Okay, jealousy. We think of jealousy as a negative trait, something that someone shouldn't be jealous. But the question really is whether we're jealous for the right thing. Can jealousy be a good thing? And when someone is jealous for the right things and things that they should be jealous for, then it's, it's expressed as an intensely caring devotion to objects or people of love. 
that we can be jealous for our spouse, we can be jealous for our children, for our responsibilities, that there are things that we can and even should be jealous for in that way. And so God, by every means, has, has every right to be jealous. He also mentions uh, a promise in this passage, really. This is, it, it's, it, it's kind of a, a promise. It's, most people say that the, the, the sixth commandment, or the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a promise. But this one really also contains a promise where he talks about visiting the iniquity of the fathers um, on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. And this really starts talking about the fact that sins are passed down, that sins are passed down, that both the consequences and the behavior is passed from generation to generation. This is how God made people to be. This is how um, God made people to reproduce, that we both reproduce and have children, but we also, the way that we raise them affects them and, and follows them both, it can, and can follow both genetically and also just behaviorally, we always in, in, in the social sciences, they always talk about nature versus nurture and how much of it is is in our DNA and our cells and that kind of thing. And how much is just how we're raised. Well, we've seen that there can be both. There can be both things that there are things that are passed down traits and and behaviors that are passed down through the, the DNA, even to children who aren't raised by their biological parents. Um, but there's also behaviors that are passed on just in terms of how people are raised as well. <coughs> and we can see this in, in families where you see sins that seem to follow the same family throughout generations. But he also says that his love, his steadfast love, um, it follows even further. That God's blessings and, and the, the ways that he gives people to overcome those, those negative things, overcome that sin, is more powerful than the sin itself. The last one he talks about, oh no, here we go. You shouldn't, this is the third. You should not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. So this is often a, a kind of a tricky one. What does it mean to take the name of God in vain? How do you know if you're taking the name of God in vain? And it's pretty simple to think, if you just think about how we deal with our own names. right? If you say the name and you're not addressing him or referring to him, then you're in the wrong. If you're if you're not saying it in prayer or in conversation and actually talking about God, then you're taking His name in vain. In whatever ver version you're you're using it, whether you're saying Jesus, whether you're saying God, whether you're saying Yahweh, if you're referring to Him, it's not the the specific pronunciation of the name or anything like that 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 is important. It is it is whether or not when you're saying it, you're referring to Him specifically. And this is just, if you think about it, how you would, you would expect the same respect that God, that God wants. That you wouldn't want someone going around using your name and when they're not referring to you. And if they're using it as a curse or using it in some kind of uh, way where they're, they're not actually talking to you or they're not talking about you. Um, that's not how we want our names used. Names are important. Um, and so that's all that's happening here with God saying not to take his name in vain. He's saying, use it to talk to me or talk about me and you, know, you can say praises and things like that, but it should be something that, that is meaningful and not an empty way of, of referring to his name. And the last of, of the first four here that talk about how we deal with God is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
and often we act like this doesn't apply to us. And we kind of set this as part of the 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 ceremonial law that we've moved past. This is kind of the one of the only ones that we kind of say, well, this doesn't really apply to Christians today. Um, all the other Ten Commandments, we, we would say, certainly apply to all of us. But this is not something that we typically uh, take very seriously. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One being that Jesus openly defied the Pharisaical Sabbath regulations. That, the, that by the time it was Jesus' day, uh, the Pharisees had taken this and made it really kind of crazy the way that they practice the Sabbath. They, they started figuring out, okay, this is how many steps you're allowed to take. You're, this is what you're allowed to do. This is what you're not allowed to do. Um, even to this day, there are things like kosher kitchens where, uh, you know, ovens and things, like you can set them to turn on automatically because they've decided in our day that pressing a button and causing to cause electricity to flow is work that you're doing that you're doing work and so that's why they have those kind of things and if you go to israel they'll have sabbath elevators uh that stop at every floor so that you're not actually causing it to flow causing the electricity to flow um and so because jesus pushed back against a lot of that that kind of thinking that was there at the time you can think of the 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 moment of his disciples and he walking through the field and picking the picking the wheat heads off and just eating them raw and and the pharisees getting mad at them and saying that's work you're doing work right there um and jesus saying no that's that's this is not what i meant um and so because of that i think oftentimes we kind of push this aside but Sabbath rest is important to us as well. If we think about what does this represent, really, what, why did God ask people to rest on the Sabbath? We really see three things in terms of what Sabbath rest, rest represents. First, it just represents a rest from your work. That just as God rested after six days of creation, we're meant to rest one day a week. Um, and that we're meant to take a rest from our work that God does, didn't design us to go hard all the time, that he meant for us to have a break. Secondly, it's a time to focus on God, right? He's, it's a Sabbath rest to God. If you look at that language, it's a, that we're resting to him, a dedicated Sabbath to him, that it's meant to be holy in some kind of way, that we're dedicating that time to him, that we're focusing, spending time to focus on him. But thirdly, it's, it's trust in God's provision. This is one that I think is often missed on us today because oftentimes our work isn't uh, physical. But if you think about in this day that, that God was bringing it to them, work was physical, right? It was largely agricultural or uh, even the nomadic. They're, they're, they're gathering. They're raising their, their flocks. They're always, there's always something to do to make things better, right, to, to get more. So they, they, there was no like necessarily like, oh, well, I'm not going to go into the office today. It was it's always right there that they could do work that would make their lives better, that would that would increase their chances of getting the provisions that they need. And so by not working on that one day of a week, they're trusting in God's provision. They're trusting that God will provide in the six days that they do work, that if they work six days in a row, that the seventh day they can rest and trust that God will provide. This is what God teaches them right away with with manna. That when they are um, that when they are going to to gather the manna, He's saying you don't gather on this on this seventh day. You don't gather on Saturday. I provide double on Friday. You don't have to gather on Saturday, and yet they still were tempted to go out and see if they could get anything. 
another problem with this is that it's harder for us today to recognize what work is when so many of us don't have physical jobs, right? And it's easy to, to continue to work um, when our job is not physical. And so we have to ask, what is work for me, right? What is work for me? That if we, if we don't have physical uh, labor, then then maybe getting out and working in the yard or something like that isn't work, even though it does require physical exertion. If that's most of the day you're not doing those things, then maybe, you know, getting out on the weekend and, and doing work in your yard can be part of your Sabbath rest, um, even if it, it does require physical exertion. If that's not part of your work, if it feels like taking a break from your work. Here are some, some questions that we can ask in terms of how are we honoring the Sabbath. One, am I resting at least one full day from my work? Am I doing what God asked me to do? Maybe that's not even in a row, but maybe that's something that we're, we're somehow taking a rest from our work, that we are setting it aside in whatever way that looks like for us, whatever our work looks like. Am I resting at least one full day from my work? Two, we can ask, am I giving God the focus that he deserves? Am I dedicating time to him? Is, is things like, like worship services and, and Bible study and, and those kind of things, are they priorities for us or are they things that we squeeze in if we have the time? Do we give God the priority that he deserves to have in our lives? And then thirdly, am I trusting in God's provision? Am I trusting that God can provide for me or am I constantly uh, working overtime and, and taking extra time thinking that I need to make sure that I'm providing. I need to make sure that I'm getting all that I can get. Or are we trusting that God will provide? All right, moving to our next section, justice. Justice, looking at how we deal with other people. Verses 12 through 17. It says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that that Yahweh your God is giving you. You shall not... You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. All right, going through these. Honor your father and mother. This is a pretty simple one, but the one thing that we often miss is it doesn't end when you turn 18. This doesn't end when you become an adult, that you don't have to continue to do these to do this, um, that, that we honor, give honor to our father and mother as long as they're living and, and even after. Um, and he, he does make a promise associated with this, that your days may be long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Right? He makes this, this promise, but it's kind of an interesting one in that it's very logical. It's a very logical promise that, that when, and, and you can see this from when kids are very young, that when kids are, are especially when, when they're babies um, and they s- just start crawling and, and walking and, and those kind of things, which is right where we're at with, uh, with Lucy right now. She's just starting to walk. She's going to turn, uh, turn one years old on, on Tuesday. And we save her life regularly. We save her life on a daily basis because she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what is what 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 will what's dangerous for her. Um, but that it continues to even be true with with my my other kids. They don't necessarily always have the cognitive functioning, uh, and so we're regularly saving her life. Um, and so there's a very literal fact that 
that your days may be long in the land, that life is extended by people listening to their parents uh, because they, they don't know what is coming down the line. They don't know what is dangerous for them. Um, and that continues even as we grow up, that it's important to appreciate the wisdom that comes with age, that, that e- even continually, even into adulthood, our, our parents have knowledge about the world and about how things work that we might not have. And we would be wise to take that advice and to listen to them, to honor their experience. You shall not murder. This is the most basic one. This is the the, the, the <laughs> this is such a such a most basic core commandment uh, that just makes sense that you shouldn't murder anyone. Um, it, it, it's one it's one that's the most obvious where Jesus says that that all of all of the commands are summed up by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, just saying that he doesn't need to say you should not murder. Right. That's obvious that if you love God, you're not going to murder his fellow creation. If you love your, your neighbor, you're not going to murder them. These are very simple things. But Jesus actually uses this later on to really talk about how murder starts in the heart. Right. That Jesus will, will say in the New Testament that those who are angry have already committed murder in their heart. He says this in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty two where he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus talks about this is not just a matter of I managed not to kill anyone, but this really goes to the heart of how do we feel about people? How do we feel about people? The murder starts in the heart. It starts with anger. And that we need to check that before it even gets to that point. And that even that they've murdered in our hearts and we can be guilty just based on what's going on in our hearts. He also says you should not commit adultery. This is, again, pretty simple, although we also need to keep in mind that it includes any sexual activity outside of that between a husband and a wife. Uh, that, that any of that is adultery, that even pre Premarital sex is adultery. Any sex outside of the the marriage of a husband and a wife is adultery. And he says you should not commit adultery. You need to honor that. That's how God has designed sex to work. You shall not steal. Again, very very simple in general. Although we do have uh, tricky uh, elements of that in in our age in our time. When I was in um, high school and especially into college, uh, it became very popular to uh, to steal mp3s no one called it that they just called it downloading uh, but you could go to sites like napster and all these different different sites where you could just take mp3s people were taking music and just putting it on the internet and you could just get it for free um, and and that was very clearly stealing it was stealing intellectual property digital property uh, and that problem still exists to this day that we still have people who seem to be okay with that that like because essentially just simply saying well, because it's easy, it's not stealing. Um, and, and that's, uh, I think, pretty clearly ridiculous that just because it might be easy to steal intellectual property doesn't make it any less uh, stealing. And so we do need to be careful of that and go, yeah, what is it that I, that I steal because I can simply get away with it? What is it that I take simply because it's easy for me to take it um, that still can be stealing? 
you should not bear false witness, right? This is, is essentially saying, and this is worded in such a perfect way of saying that we're not to lie in a way that hurts someone. We're not to bear false witness against our neighbor. This is a, a big one, this question of like whether it's okay, whether it's ever okay to lie. It's a big, you know, every philosophy class has a whole discussion uh, section about that and, and talking about when is it okay to lie and, and is it any is there any situations in which it's in which it's okay to lie? But this is phrased in a way where it's so perfectly uh, clear that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That it's a specific situation here that it's talking about. It's similar to the way that that the murder uh, murder commandment is is phrased. Right, you shall not commit murder. Uh, it's actually. Uh, an important thing to see that that's the word, right? That's the, the Hebrew word is rightly translated as murder. The, the King James Bible, if any of you still use the King James version, it translates as you shall not kill. And that's not the phrase, right? That's not the correct phrase because there are situations like war and like even, even as we get into these passages, you'll see a lot of, of death penalty mentioned here. God's not all right, outright banning any, killing he's banning murder and specifically here and, and and similarly here he's saying you shall not bear false witness he's not saying that there's never a situation in which you don't say exactly what is true we see this in in the book of joshua is a great example joshua chapter two and and in even jumping into chapter six to see the the consequences um joshua sends spies to go spy out the land and specifically jericho and rahab hides them and when she's asked about whether these men are there she she lies she says that they're not there she she doesn't know what what they're talking about she doesn't know where they came from that she she really covers it up and she's not condemned for that she's blessed by that she's saved as a result of of what she did for those men Um, and so this is where we get around those kind of silly arguments that people have where it's pretty clear like is it loving in this situation or is this something that we're doing that is that is still um, causing harm? Is this something that we're bearing false witness against our neighbor? Are we doing are we are we doing it in a way that hurts our neighbor? And the last one here, you shall not covet. You shall not covet any and he specifically lays out basically he gives all these examples, right? Not your neighbor's wife or his house or his servants or his animals. Uh, he, he goes through this list and it's, it's just meant to be all encompassing. It's saying don't covet what your neighbor has. Um, and this is the law that that really caught the Apostle Paul. He talks about this in Romans chapter seven, verses seven through eight. He says, what shall we say then that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. In other places in his letters, Paul repeatedly equates covetousness with idolatry. He says that covetousness is a form of idolatry. If we look at what covetousness is, it's uh, it's wanting something that causes you in in a way to hate your neighbor for having what you don't have and resenting God for not giving you what you think you deserve. That covetousness causes you to hate your neighbor for having what you do not have and resenting God 
for not giving you what you think you deserve. It really affects both relationships. It affects our relationship with God and or with other, and with other people. And so Paul says, like, if I hadn't known what covetousness was, I didn't even realize that that was in my heart, essentially what he's saying here. He's saying it, and knowing that it was there even, even caused more uh, covetousness in me. It, it produced all kinds of it. And, and, and so what he's talking about here is that the law is meant to convict. Right? That the law is meant to convict us, <coughs> to show us our sin. That no one gets through this list, no one should get through this list without feeling guilty, right? Without feeling convicted, without feeling like, boy, I have fallen short. Even the simple, simplest commandments, as the Ten Commandments, we can all say, boy, I have broken them. I have, I have violated those things at some point in my life, if not right now. The law is not meant to be something that we can fulfill, right? That Jesus is the one who comes and fulfills the law and removes our condemnation, Romans chapter 8 talks about this. Paul goes on from, from this, his, his discussion in chapter 7 to say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk accord, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He talks about Jesus removes that guilt. He removes that from us. Let's look at the last section here we're going to look at today. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. Fear and trembling. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So the people are terrified, right? It says fear and trembling seize them. They are terrified both of the sights and the sounds, right? Remember there's... The, the mountain is smoking, there's earthquakes, there's lightning and thunder and God's booming voice. That's a, they're terrified of those things. They're also terrified by the knowledge of their sin, right? That in the face of this power, this incredible power has come to them and told them, here is how I want you to live. And every one of them thought, I am not perfect. They've, they saw their error in that moment in the face of, this incredible power is terrifying, both the power itself and the knowledge of their own sin. And so the people ask Moses to relay what God wants to say. He says, God can continue to talk, but, but you, why don't you tell us what else he has to say? They've heard as much as they feel like they can take at this moment. They're asking for a mediator between God and man, and they're right that they need one. But they, they, they can't fully take it. 
And so do we. We also need a mediator. And we have a great high priest who is sat at the right hand of the Father, as Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 tells us. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Moses in this moment, as he's going to step in as the mediator between God and man, is really foreshadowing what Jesus Jesus would ultimately do for us, stand in the gap and represent us to God. But because Jesus is not only our representative, but the perfect sacrifice, fulfilling the requirements of the law on our behalf, we are now able to draw near to the throne. Right? He says, we, let us with confidence draw near to the throne. That's an incredible statement that Hebrews makes there. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. It's an incredible statement that we are able to draw near with confidence. The only reason we can have that confidence is because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice for us, because of his atoning blood for us, that he was the propitiation for our sins, that he covers us. And we are able to find grace and mercy at his feet. There is no condemnation anymore because of what he has done. That, that this list, even this simple list of the Ten Commandments, makes us feel guilty. Makes us feel that we are not enough. That we are not good enough. That we are broken. That we are not perfect. We are not holy as God is holy. And yet we can find forgiveness. We can find covering for our sin because of what he has done. We do not need to be afraid as they, as they were afraid because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. We're going to celebrate that now. Um, but before we do, we're going to wrap up here with how should we then live. This is a list of possible responses to the text today. And obviously you might have your own. Uh, that's perfectly all right. Here are some options of things that you might take away because Scripture is meant to change us. It's meant to to affect our hearts. Here are some possible takeaways. Number one, consider the deep implications of these matters for your heart. Right, the deeper implications. Not just the the simple like, have I not murdered anyone? But like like that verse says, how how has this affected my heart? What is the interior version of these things? To respond to the conviction of the law by turning to Jesus for forgiveness, right? That recognize that's what the law is meant to do. It's not meant to be something that we are able to accomplish, but that we find our guilt there. We find our conviction there and then turn to Jesus and find that forgiveness. And then he enables us to do these things, to live in this way, in a deeper way, in that deeper way. Third, rest in the comfort of knowing that we have a great high priest who loves and understands us. Or that Jesus can be our mediator, that he can be our ability to do these things. He gives us the Holy Spirit that allows us to live in this way, that allows us to come close to accomplishing this, this list, to living in this way that he's designed us to live. And we can be grateful and thankful for that. We're going to celebrate him right now as we take communion together. In a minute here, I'm going to play uh, some music. Uh, Josh Johnson, a member of our worship team, is uh, sending a video that we're going to listen to, just some music. And it's just a chance for us to reflect on these things, to pray 
this is a moment for you to, to kind of get your heart right with God as we as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. Let me pray and then we'll we'll do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, guiding in this the simple truth of the Ten Commandments and how they can they can have an impact on our on our lives, God. They can convict us of sin. They can show us the right way to live. Um, and then we can come to you for forgiveness and then be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these things, to live in this way. Pray that you would continue to to change us, to con- continue to convict us, that we might become more like your son Jesus, that you want to model us into, into his, after him. So we thank you this morning. We, we worship you and thank you for the forgiveness that we have found at the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.